So we're in chapter 5 uh, today. We'll be in 5 and hopefully get through a, a chunk of 6. Um, I'm just going to start in verse 1 of, of chapter 5. It says, Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifice for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to that same weakness. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. So at the beginning of chapter 5, what we see here is, as I said, we're, we're kind of looking at this role of, of high priest. Uh, the, the author starts by talking about the role on, in the physical realm of, of the high priest, what their job was. And it, it says it pretty, pretty straightforward. The, the high priest was a mediator or a go-between for the people of God and God himself. He, he would bring man's offerings and sacrifices to God in a way that was acceptable to God. And he would, in return, bring the, the instructions and blessings of God back to the people. So that's, a, that's kind of our general understanding of what a high priest is. The next uh, passage, the author begins to show us that this high priest is more than, than, uh, than that of a job. It's, it's a calling. And to be qualified for that calling, there was, there was a process you had to walk through. Verse 4 says, And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to start with the, the, the first, I'm actually going to kind of punt on this last verse. The idea of the order of Melchizedek, this is a, a, a really interesting term. Um, it's an important one, but I want to put a pin in it. We're actually going to, you're going to read, we're going to read this reference a couple of times today. Um, but in chapter 7, uh, the author really deals with what this Melchizedek guy was and, and why is it significant. So I want to just put a pin in that for now. When we get to chapter 7, we will dive into that more fully. Um, so uh, I'm just going to skip that verse for now. Um, but for now, I just want to focus on the process that Jesus walked through, because that's really the point of the, this part of the passage, that even Jesus himself didn't just come to earth and just automatically be, got given this, this title, this, this role of high priest. And we're, we're going to see three terms, three key terms that help us understand the process that, that made Jesus eligible for being chosen. And this is important for two reasons. One, these terms will help enrich our appreciation for what Jesus did for us. You know, it, it, when someone gives you something or you receive a gift or someone does something for you, the more you understand what it cost that person, the more you appreciate the thing that they did, right? And so by looking at it, by understanding the process that Jesus had to go through, sometimes we think, you know, because Jesus was Jesus. We, we, we kind of like almost dismiss the work it took for him to accomplish the things that he did while he was here on earth. But it took everything he had. And we're, we're going to see a little bit of what that process looked like. And then the second thing is, 
this process isn't just applicable to what Jesus did. It's a template for the work that Jesus wants us to do in our own lives. We are called to be disciples. And disciples are not just followers or fans of a leader. A true disciple is one who learns to do what his master did. And so the, the process that we see Jesus going through in these, these next few verses is a very similar, is the same process that, that, that God wants to bring us through in our discipleship. Now, a warning, um, I'm going to have to Greek out a bit here. Um, but I'm going to try and keep it not, some of you got really excited, some of you uh, just fell asleep. I get it. Um, <laughs> we won't go. We won't go too deep. But these there's three terms in, this, in these next three verses that are really key, and to really kind of understand what exactly the author is saying, we just there's just no way around it. We gotta we gotta look at some Greek definitions. Um, so verse seven says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And that's going to be our, our, our word. We're going to, I want us to check into a little bit this here, this idea of reverence for God. The first thing we see in this, this verse, though, is that, that there was no nepotism. All right, Jesus, this verse makes it clear that Jesus did the work and set the bar. He earned his role. It wasn't just given to him just because of who he was. He earned what he got. And he did it because of, the scripture says, his deep reverence for God. And that, that's, that's a word, to, I mean, most of us, we've heard that word, but that's a word that's kind of fallen out of our vernacular a little bit, isn't it? We, we don't talk about reverence a lot. Um, Maybe when you're a kid, you know, in Sunday school, we, you know, you ask a kid what, you know, be reverent, and they probably they may they may say, well, it means you know, you fold your hands and you bow your head when you pray. Um, that's being reverent. But but the 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 idea of of reverence is is such a crucial part to our process that that I wanted to dig into it a little bit. Um, Vine's expository reference defines it this way. Um, it's that mingled fear and love which combined constitutes the piety of a man towards God. That's what reverence is. It is, it is when fear of God and love of God collide. And I think that's such a, such a powerful um, such a powerful characteristic that we need to have in our lives. Is reverence. We've we we have we have I think um, lost that largely in our relationships, and, and it tends to be one way or the other, because you need two elements working in tension and in concert to to have this idea of reverence. There's both this idea of fear of God. You know, uh, Scripture says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then there's, on the other hand, there is this deep love for God. It's, it's, it, it, they almost seem like they're mutually exclusive, but they're not. They, they, they work together. And when we have both of these, it, it becomes the, the, the proper position to allow us to work the process or for the Holy Spirit to work the process in it, in us of discipleship. 
There was love in the fear of God's saints then as there is, uh, this is another quote, it says, there was love in the fear of God's saints then as there must be fear in, the, in their love now. So what this, this is referring to is, you know, the, the, the Bible, you know, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and the two kind of highlight these, this idea of reverence in, in both ends, right? The, the Old Testament we see on display primarily the fear of God, right? The grandeur, the, 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 the awesomeness of God. And then in the New Testament, it, it shifts and the focus is a little more on, on the love of God and his care and his concern and how we can be close to him and how he, he walks with us. But neither, neither are, are, just because the New Testament focuses on love doesn't mean God changed. Doesn't mean he's still not this amazing, giant, huge thing that, that we, should, we should almost, uh, should take our breath away when we think about and, and, and dare to approach it. The Holy Spirit wants to develop in us a reverence for God. It's through that, that, that balance of love and fear that we are motivated, that we are spurred to do hard things, to take the steps necessary to, to follow him where, where into places that, that, that maybe we, we wouldn't otherwise. So the first term we, we looked at is reverence. And if we will just go on, verse 8, we, we see our next kind of key that, that Jesus developed. And that um, it says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. He learned obedience. That's, that's kind of a, a weird thing to think about, right? That Jesus, the Son of God, had to learn obedience. But there, there, there it is in black and white. I, I didn't write it. Um, notice the process here. He, he, he learned that the Greek word there is mantheno. Um, and it's, it's, it's translated learned, but we tend to, when we th- hear the word learned, we think, tend to think what school right gaining information taking a test able to recite that information back um and, and that's not really the full picture of of what this is talking about the 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 greek definition of this would be to in, increase in knowledge by observation um Another definition said learning christ not simply the doctrine of christ but christ himself it's the difference between reading a, reading a biography about someone and being their friend. So you can read a biography and know a lot about a person, but that doesn't mean you actually know the person. And it doesn't mean the person doesn't know you. And I think this third definition is kind of the biggest difference uh, that, that we need to adapt in is um, this manthano is the idea behind it is to learn by use and practice or to acquire a habit. I love that phrase, to acquire a habit. Jesus learned from his father through the Holy Spirit how to act like his father through the process of acting like his father. Right? It wasn't just sitting in a class and learning an outline and being able to regurgitate it back. It's, you have to think less, less third grade and more apprenticeship. If we're going to learn this obedience like Jesus, we have to engage in the, the same type of learning. True discipleship doesn't happen in a Bible study. 
That's an element of it. Just like, just like learning, you will never learn to play a sport in a classroom. Right? If you want to play basketball, you want to learn how to play football or pickleball or whatever. You will never learn that sport sitting in a... I don't care how good the teacher is. You could have the best... Michael Jordan could do a, a master class and you could sit there for hours, days, weeks, months of him, him imparting all of his knowledge to you. But if you never get on a court and pick up a basketball, you don't know how to play basketball. It, it, it can't be done. This is why this idea of learning obedience is a, is a practical, it's a hands-on, it's a tangible method. It's not just information transformation or transference, I should say. So we have this idea of reverence, and then Jesus walks in this learned obedience, and then we go on to, to verse 9. It says, In this way God qualified him, as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And the, the phrase here I want to focus in on is that God qualified him. That word uh, qualified in the, the Greek is teleos. It means to, to make perfect or to, to fulfill. It means to consecrate. Listen, this is something that was done to Jesus. God qualified Jesus. This is important for us to understand in our own lives. That God doesn't, let me put it this way, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies us for the call. And that's an important distinction that we have to understand. That God, God is involved in the process of, of making you qualified for the calling that he has for you. It's not, it's too much of the time we focus on trying to, to do it ourselves, to make ourselves eligible for fulfilling some calling that we sense God or we hope God would call us to. No, that's not the way it works. Even in Jesus' case, God qualified him. He didn't do it on his own. And then Jesus got to a certain point of, of, of you know, he, he'd made, built himself up and up and God goes, okay, now, 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 I can, now I can use you, now I'll call you. No. God, through a process, made him worthy of the call. This was something that was done to Jesus. It was a, it was a process. In the Old Testament, the prophet, I think it was Jeremiah, used the analogy of the potter and the wheel, right? The clay, as the potter molds the clay into, into a vessel that, that, that's useful. This is, this is a great picture of, of how God works with us. Listen, God wants to qualify you for amazing sacred work. He wants to consecrate you. He has, he has a plan to do this. And he does this as we develop a greater reverence. He does this through us learning obedience. It's not a do all this stuff and then you apply for this, you know, you, you build up your resume and then you apply for a job and, you know, you show God your resume and he's like, okay, you're hired. That's not the way it works. God calls us and says, God says, I have this, I have this, this idea, I have this destiny for you. You are nowhere near ready for it. So come on, we're gonna, we're gonna work this together. I want you to go, you know, I want you to go do this, and then and we're gonna 
I'm going to show you what it's like to, to learn. I'm going to develop you into the person that, that I'm, I want you, I want to call you to be. God doesn't just call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He first does this. Thing. I'm going to give you two, two kind of nerdy Bible words. Um, <laughs> and, and then we'll go back into our text. He does this through, through uh, on one level called justification. You may be familiar with this term. Justification is just the, the, the big picture. It's what Jesus Christ's work on the cross did. It, it justified us. He said, I, I want you in my family. So he gives himself. He comes to earth. He pays for our sin. And positionally, he, he qualifies us through, because, through something we could never do. He does, right? He pays for our sin so that we have access to right relationship with him. That's, that's justification, but then there's another level, there's, there's a, a, another level called sanctification. And this is where he completes that work through partnership with us. This is the process we've been talking about, where, where he walks with us, he trains us, he coaches us how to live like him and live for him. He, through the, the Holy Spirit coming alive inside of us, empowers us to do the work that he has called us to do. And like any good coach, sometimes the feedback you get is not pleasant. Uh, but it's always good for you. Um, raise your hand if you played, uh, if, if you ever played sports, like organized sports. Okay. Probably about a quarter of us. Anybody have a scary coach? I don't know if coaches are scary, but I... When, when, when I read this part of, of, of Scripture that we're about to read, I think of my middle school basketball coach. His name is Coach Campbell. Um, coach Campbell also ran the Better, Better Way Ministries, uh, what is now the Dream Center for, I mean, he founded it, started it, ran it. You know, it's, it's a homeless ministry um, for, for years and years. Coach Campbell was the scariest man I, I have ever met in my entire life. To this day. And um, playing basketball for him was a series of, of just what seemed to be life-threatening situations. Whether it was um, one, of his favorite, one of his favorite games to play was what I called the blind run. Where we would go outside and he would point in a direction and say... Go run. And that was all the instructions you were given. And so you ran in that direction, and you didn't know if you were running a block, three miles, two miles, five miles. Sometimes he would be a mile down the road. Sometimes he would be two. One time he was a mile and he was three miles down the road, and then he made us run back. Sometimes he had a van to pick us up. It was not pleasant. Um, but Coach Campbell, part of it was Coach Campbell was, was extremely quick to give you very, very, very realistic and honest feedback about what you were doing in any given moment. And if you were doing something wrong in any given moment, you were going to know exactly what you were doing wrong and how wrong it was and that you needed to do it correctly. Um, and it was terrifying for, for, for a middle schooler. But that's part of coaching. 
Part of, part of true, coach, if you, want, if you want to be better at something, you, ha- you need somebody in your corner, in your life, that is going to be honest enough in real time that you can see the changes that you need to make and do it in a way that's clear enough that you understand the urgency of making those changes. Does that make sense? And we see that a lot in Scripture, although sometimes we miss it because of the translation and, and, um, and just our tendency to think the Bible is nice, which it's not a lot. And we see an example of that in, in, in this next part of pa- in the, the passage where, where the Hebrews, the audience that the writer's speaking to, he is going to coach them up a little bit. And we see that if we jump back into the text in verse 11, he says, there is much more I'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Yikes. Listen, God loves you too much to lower his expectations of you. Remember, this was an audience, we talked about this the first week, this was an audience that was under attack. This was an audience that was, in very short order, going to experience like significant persecution. This was an audience that had been kicked out and bounced around. This was an audience of people that were, he was writing them because they were struggling to hold on to, 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 their, to their faith, and they were, they were wavering about whether it was worth it. And this is his response. The standard can't move. God's call, God's expectations for your life is never going to get less, regardless of your circumstances. And, and to me, that is such an encouragement because that means that it doesn't matter what the external circumstances in my life are. God is going to be faithful to make sure that I can live up to my calling regardless of that. This is, while it's harsh, it's actually a statement of faith. That regardless of all this external pressures, all these, these reasons, these maybe excuses, why we, should, we could maybe lessen our expectation of our relationship with God or our impact in the world, this author says to the, this group of people, no, the line doesn't change. You still need to strive for maturity. And he goes on in verse 12, he says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid foods. If you're a coach, middle school coach today and you called, you said that, you might get suspended. Um, (laughs) You called your kids a bunch of babies. Um... Now listen, this, this verse, this was not a leader's conference. This letter, this sermon was written to the whole community. This is the expectation. This was the expectation for the whole community. In God's economy, there's not people who are destined to just be babies their whole lives. We are all called and invited into the process of maturity to the, get to the point where we are mature believers. This is an expectation for each one of us. And sometimes we, we read this, this part about, you know, instead, by now you should be teachers. And, and for some of us, it's really hard to swallow because of what we picture when we picture that word teacher, right? We, we kind of substitute that for well, what I'm doing, right? Like everybody should, no, everyone, everyone 
shouldn't have a microphone and, and be on a stage. Statistically, most people would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. Um, this isn't talking about public speaking. It's not even talking about teaching a class. This, this idea of teachers, a better frame of reference would really be that of a, a coach or, or a mentor or a, a personal trainer. It, it's, you should mature. God wants to bring us to a place of maturity where we can then do the same for someone else. Where we can help someone else come along and, and bring them into a, a place of maturity in Christ. This is not just teaching Bible classes. This, this, can ref, this refers to, to our whole lives. This is what we do with our friends, what we do with our kids, what we do with our spouses, what we do with, with our coworkers. Verse 13, we'll go back into our text. We, we, we learn a little bit more about this idea of maturity. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now notice here we see an important distinction. Maturity isn't a product of time. It's a product of training. It's It's also not a product of passion. It's a product of training. Training in what, though? How do, we, how do we know what milk is and what meat is? How do we, we know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, we get some answers if we jump down to, to chapter 6. Uh, the, the author's actually going to give us a list. He's going to uh, kind of give us an outline of what, what the basics are. And, and, and you might be a little surprised. So uh, verse 1 in chapter 6 says, So let us stop going over the basics about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and so on. God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So here we're given, we're given a list of what these basics are, these things that the, the author is almost frustrated that he's, he feels the need to go back over and, and, and to, to keep focusing on with this group of people. And what were they? One, it was repentance from sin and trusting in God for, for forgiveness. It was baptism, which is a reference to, to well, baptism, a, a ceremony. Of, of co- it's the ceremony that they use to, to indicate your commitment into the church, into following Jesus for the rest of your life. The, 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 and we come to this phrase of laying on of hands. This is, this is a reference to the process by which someone became a leader in the church, um, or an ordination process. And then we have these, these last two phrases, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is talking about uh, basic, the, the foundational doctrine, sound doctrine of, of the church. The writer here is describing the basics, and, but we tend to see these. When we, if we were to look at this list, we, we would see that in somebody, and we probably w- would describe that person as mature. Right? Someone who's actively pursuing holiness. Someone who's, who's 
been baptized, someone who understands what it takes to be a leader, someone who has a, a good grasp on the pillars of our faith. We would, we would see that list and we would go, well, that, that person's pretty mature. But according to the text, that's not the case. According to the text, that's the basics. That's still milk. That doesn't mean that those things aren't important, though. They are. They are vital. They are the foundation of our faith. We never outgrow them. It's like, um, well, look at it like, like, take it like math. Um, this week I saw a movie, uh, um, it's called Hidden Figures. Anybody seen Hidden Figures? It's a... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It's, it's about, it takes place in the 60s. It, it's about the, the, the space race and, you know, um, us trying to get to the moon before Russia um, and, and the Cold War and all that. But, but, and so the, the, much of the movie is about this, like, crazy math, right? Where it's got numbers and letters and hieroglyphs and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing all these computations, right? So that, that would be... Super advanced math. That's the, that would be the, the, the more advanced stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're going to make this giant calculation to, to, get, to get a rocket to the moon, you still are using addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, right? You're just using it and you're applying it in a very specific way. The same is true with these basics. We never, you never mature out of repenting and, and asking for forgiveness and, 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 and using doctrine and, and, and all of these things and, and understanding what it means to be a good leader. You never outgrow them. We always use those things. But maturity, get, when we are mature, we get to a point where those things, if we go back to the, our, our term learned obedience, we get, we get to the point where those things have become habit. That it doesn't take all of our effort to be doing and having those things present in our life. That we've done them so much that that, that, that that has become a natural part of our flow. And now our focus can be on other things. And then we see, so what is maturity? How do we keep from becoming dull and indifferent as, as the, the writer accuses us? Well, it's we, we get those things to a place where they become habit. So that we can focus on on the other things, and that's what becomes um, that's when we start to move into an age or, or a phase of maturity. And if we skip down to verse ten, we we get a picture of what those other things that that make the difference between an immature and a mature believer are. Verse ten says, "For God is not unjust; He will not forgive how hard you have worked for Him, and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do." Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. Listen, the difference between babies and adults is their ability to care for others. An immature person, a baby, a kid, they are dependent on others for their sustenance. A mature adult, a parent, 
has gotten to the point where they, they can take care of themselves enough and their focus has now shifted into pouring life into somebody else. If we want to be grown-up Christians, we have to orient our lives toward loving others. I think it's so interesting, you know, that, that the def- according to the Scripture... The defining difference between maturity and immaturity is not the amount of knowledge you have. It's not even the spiritual disciplines you have. It's the amount of love you show to others. It's are you discipling somebody else? Are you you coaching somebody? Are you mentoring? Are you helping somebody else know Jesus better? The word there when we talk about uh, loving each other, the word there is agape. It's not, it's not friendship love. It's not, um, it's not romantic love. This is agape love. It's God's love. It's, it's a coaching, sacrificial, getting personal, serving, committed kind of love. It's, it's a love that's helping others to know and follow Jesus kind of love. It's a love that, 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 that sacrifices and speaks truth even when it's awkward and when you know that, that, that the person's reaction may not be, may not be to you know, really be best friends with you anymore. And so my question to you this morning is, when you look, if you look around your life, where, where are you in agape relationships? And this isn't just about affinity. This isn't about people you just have a good time with. Who are you having these kinds of relationships with? Where because of your, your relational dynamic is such that you are encouraging them and helping them in their spiritual walk, in their, their knowledge of Jesus, in their affection for him, in their, their understanding, in their, their own spiritual disciplines. Who are the, the relationships in your life that you are pouring into those people in that way that it is making, it's making a difference? And who, who in your life is doing that for you? Because according to Hebrews, our passage today, that is the true test of our maturity. Not how many Bible verses we know. Although that is important. Not how, how good we are at not doing, you know, bad sins. This is what a disciple of Jesus is all about. Spiritual maturity is about loving others in a way that brings them closer to Jesus. I don't have... Uh, you know, unfortunately, the next chapter in Hebrews is not um, an outline on the, the four things you need to do to make sure that this happens. <laughs> because the whole point of this is, is it's, a, it's a process that, that, that is between you and the Lord, and the Holy Spirit will guide us into this. My goal, my hope 
for this morning and through, through this series is that we just become awake to it and start pursuing God and asking him to show us what it looks like to, to, to live like this. You know, in the, in the coming weeks and months, we're, we're as, a, as a church, we, as a leadership, we're, working, we're looking at this now. What does, what does a church built around this idea look like? That it's not about, it's not about classes. If, if, if maturity is about every believer being able to pour into another believer and to invite non-believers to become believers, if that's, if that's really the standard of maturity, then that has to be the standard that we expect from ourselves. And so how do we, how do we create a community that, that encourages and, 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 and in a very life-giving way uh, facilitates that? Spoiler alert, that's where we're going. We don't have the answers yet. We're still, <laughs> we're still asking the Lord to show us. And, but there's some things that, that he has begun to stir in us that we're, we're, we're working on that, that, that are going to be coming, we're going to be leaning into in the next, the next year or so. Um, but spoiler alert, that's just kind of where we're going. Um, I want to end our time today uh, with simply this. A prayer of invitation. A prayer of invitation. That, that, that we would take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit a couple of things. One, to show us individually where we are at in our maturity. Number two, that we would catch a vision for becoming more mature. A scriptural-based Maturity. And number three, that we would see the people that the people that God is calling us to. Either in a, a peer relationship, in, in a relationship where we're going to encourage each other, or maybe there's there's someone, maybe there's somebody already in your life. You know, I mean, um, first thing comes to mind is parents. Like if you've got kids. This is a big part of this is already prescribed for you, right? You don't have to think about that. The top couple of spots, however many kids you have, are already filled out on your list. <laughs> you are called by God to disciple those, those kids. That is your, your, your primary, a primary role in your life for the next however many years you have with them. Or maybe somebody that you need to you need to partner with that that, that has something to pour into your life, uh, a, a friend, uh, you know, someone someone here at CA that that has lived through things and, and is at a place that you know. Some right now, if 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 if, if there's somebody in this this church that you look at and and you're like. A little bit jealous of some part of their spiritual life. You can be honest. Uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm. There's like, there's like, tons of people around here that I'm like, I consider it like a holy jealousy, right? Where you, you know those people where like you hear them pray and you're like, oh man, that's so good. They like don't stumble and it just sounds like they're just they're talking to you know like their best friend and. They're using all kinds of really cool words, and 
You know, it's okay. But maybe, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the Holy Spirit helping you notice someone that can help you develop an area of your life. So let's, let's just take a minute and, and pray. Um, I'm just going to kind of lead out with, with, a, with a short statement in each of these areas, and then I'm just going to shut up for a minute, and you can kind of just talk to the Lord yourself. God, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your, your coaching us this morning. God, thank you that you don't pull punches with us, um, that you love us enough to, to be straightforward with us. God, would you, in this moment, help us to have a clear picture of, of where we stand with you in our maturity, God? If, if, if we have an overinflated picture of, of how mature we are, God, would you convict us of that this morning? And God, if we have, a, if we have an underappreciated picture, belief in, in how mature we are, that, that it, is, it is hindering us from, from things you are calling us to because we're ready, but we refuse to believe it. God, would you, would you begin to, to convict us of that as well? God, would you just speak to us? God, we've seen in, in, in your word today how maturity is a process that you walk us through. God, we, we first off, we, we commit to that process. We submit ourselves to you this morning, again, once again. Um, and Lord, we ask that you would show us each one of us, what is that, what that next step in our process needs to be. And finally, Lord, God, we thank you that you call us to community. God, that following you is a, is a team sport, that you, you, you invite us to do it together, and you, you, you orchestrate relationships that, that will bring us closer to each other and closer to you, God. And so I ask, God, would you begin to, to birth in each one of us? Would you begin to stir up ideas and, and, and draw us closer to each other, to the people that, that we, we need to be investing in, that we need to have investing in us, that will be encouraging to us, that we can encourage? God, would you show us in these next weeks and months how to live, how to create a community that truly 
is a discipling community that, that, that does what, doesn't just know what you did, but does what you do and encourages each other and helps each other and trains each other and, and, and walks with each other into doing the things and even greater things than you did, God. You said that we would do. And Lord, so we, we, just, we just ask that you, you guide us, you empower us, and you show us what that looks like for us here in 2022 in, in Columbus, Ohio, at Christian Assembly. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen, guys. Love y'all. See you next week.